All right, here we are. We've um, made our way through the first two parts of season three, and today we'll be discussing the last part of season three of Rebels, episodes 15 through 22. We've ventured this far, Chris, and what do you think so far? I like this batch of episodes. There are a lot of interesting ones. I'm not sure all of them are actually good, but they're definitely interesting. Uh, some of them anyway. I <laughs> Last time you asked me about the possible deaths, and I was so mad at myself after like five minutes after we stopped recording because there was someone that I forgot to mention in the heat of the moment. <sighs> and that would have now sounded so smart and so like like you know i could see things coming we'll talk about uh, about that but i was so mad that i didn't even message you afterwards <laughs> it's like now now i can't say that maul was on the list <laughs> that's so sad right we have actually quite a bit of deaths in this series of episodes and i think you know we've been asking for consequences from the show in general and we finally got quite a bit here and some fine finales to character arcs yeah, and it's funny because just because I've been primed for someone to die for three seasons now, I fully expected Sabine to die in that one scene. <laughs> That's like because usually I don't fall for this thing. Like the, the way it's shot, it's just such a trope, too. But with this one, just because of my mindset, I just thought, oh, she's dying now. <laughs> and it's like, nope. <laughs> But um, yeah, I I really like where this is going. I have some, like, I'm. I would have liked there to be more episodes between Sabine leaving and returning because now it just felt like, uh, like very quickly afterwards and um, they could have uh, let more time for that. But overall, I'm really happy with this batch of episodes overall. And um, I'm just glad we got a big space battle finally in this show. And uh, yeah, as you said, a lot of interesting developments in character arcs and also some of the uh, ends of some people's character arcs. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to talk about all of this today. What about you? Yeah, I'm extremely excited as well. I think this is, we're getting to the point of the show where it's actually, shit, this is good, actually good. Parts of it, at least. I think this, see, this, batch of the episodes has i think the best episode of rebels that we've watched so far and then probably one of the most useless episodes that i definitely would have skipped if yeah. this were the clone wars but alas we're watching every episode this time mm -hmm. is it episode 19 yeah yeah <laughs> i well because um i usually don't read the descriptions beforehand that you know pop up whenever like the next episode is loading or whatever when the countdown starts but the uh the title was so interesting that I couldn't help myself. And then I was like, oh, I'm sure that would have been skipped if, if we did it like Clone Wars style. <laughs> so it's funny though. But we got to, got to see Wedge for the first time. So that's nice. Yeah, we did get to see Wedge, which is cool. So I guess there is something there. Yeah. There is also, you know, episode 18 is similar in the sense that we get to see Mon Mothma mm -hmm. for the first time. Maybe not the most interesting episodes, but we do get to see Gold Squadron building the Rebel Alliance. As you said, there are interesting things happening there. Um, the first few episodes of this season about Mandalore and the Darksaber, I just really like anything about Mandalore. The quality, maybe not the greatest. There's annoying things that we'll, I guess we'll talk about with some of the characters, but just so good. It's just so good. And the last three episodes of this 
arc into this season are just like this is what you've been wanting this is what we've been waiting for and i guess we'll discuss a little bit more as we move forward a little teaser i agree with some episodes with others not so much so oh shit oh shit <laughs> oh no and if we disagree i will be so angry i'll take that anger it's okay yeah especially with the one with mon mothma it was interesting because i as soon as i saw her i was like oh okay i see where this is going we're actually finally witnessing the institutional creation of the rebellion here and that was really exciting probably the most exciting thing about this episode yeah, it's uh, it's just a great moment to behold for someone who has been, you know, who knows so much about Star Wars. And it's just nice to witness it in a way. Although I have to say, another underwhelming Star Wars speech. Yeah, well, Star Wars is never good at speeches. The best speeches are when, like, Sith want to tempt Jedi to the dark side. But politicians are n- never good orators. Honestly, though, I think the... Sith are just more interesting characters half of the time than anyone yeah. else. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't really have that much to say about that episode in particular, just because it's interesting what it does, but there's n- there aren't really any great, like, outstanding moments. You know what I mean? I think that's the same with episode 18 and 19. There's just not mm-hmm. much to say. I like when Hera has her revenge in episode 19, just saying, She's don't so mess furious. with my droid. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So I good. think the second time when they... When she said it again, I was a little bit gratuitous for me. But the first time when she's doing it in the heat of the moment, I'm just mm. like, yes, get your revenge. Yeah. But I fully expected that episode to have consequences of some kind from them. Maybe that actually be the way that they find the base instead of the contrived way that they find it in episode 21. But I found, I mean, it was still good in 21, but it would have been cool if that episode actually meant something. But in the end, it really meant zero. So, yeah, it's interesting with that episode in particular. As a whole, I don't, I didn't care for it, but there were just parts of it that I really liked. Like, um, I love that they're heck into Chopper, and that the thing that gives it away is that Chopper's nice all of a yeah. sudden. <laughs> that was so good. Um, I love that, like, it's basically a satire of all the stereotypes of IT people. With the uh, with the big bad of that episode, he's like such a s- stereotype, and they they really lean into it, which is funny. Um. I love that we uh, we get to know that bathrooms in Star Wars are called the refreshers. That was kind of that was kind of weird but funny. And the musical number at the end with AP5 was so funny. That was just came out of nowhere and I was there for it. Well, yeah, the end of this episode was hilarious. I felt so, so bad wacky. for AP5. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so nice and he starts to sing and the music and the little space birds or whatever and it's just like, "Oh, so nice." And then, "No, they're coming back for me." No. Uh, I love it so much. Yeah, as I think you're right. These these episodes even if they don't have much cons- like much consequences, they are still interesting at some points, for sure. Yeah, I, the only thing with episode 19, like how exactly does that work with overloading the system and how yeah. can Hera destroy an entire ship just like relaying something through Chopper? That doesn't make any sense, but anyway. Plot holes on plot holes on plot holes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. But um, yeah, those were like, I guess, you know, one-off episodes is fine. And uh, I think that's all we all the time we, ca- we need to spend on them. Exactly. So should we get into some of the characters? That we, as we do during 
I uh, this is this is one of the, the probably maybe the first time that I'm li- like dying to do so. Perfect. All right. So clearly, I think we should start with Sabine this time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so good. I was so interesting. Again, episode fifteen. Not sure it's a uh, and sixteen maybe even more so. Not not sure they're actually good episode, but so much interesting stuff happens in there. Sabine's arc, the th- like, she goes basically through <laughs> like pretty cathartic therapy whilst you know uh having like like sparring with kanan um but even before then i was i I message i message you um like it's three minutes into the first episode of of uh basically this this segment and i'm already furious at ezra um because of like why is he involved in training sabine and the way like the way he is condescending towards her really like triggered me but sabine just did her her thing and i liked the ambivalence right she she says at one point she's like a weapons expert but she has like she is not comfortable with a dark saber like just like as an idea and i i love that uh so much and like you can definitely see the leaps she does and i thought you know just her interaction with kanan so good yeah, that last half of that f- episode 15 was unbelievable. The mm. way that she builds up this guilt and shame and this idea of her family leaving her behind when she wanted to stand up and they just left her and the betrayal that she feels from her family, but then the way that they all see her as uh, treasonous is it just all comes to the forefront and you see how you know sabine this entire show has been cold standoffish we don't really get a sense of her personality she doesn't let much out and we start to see why and this all comes to a head in this episode and i think episode 15 maybe the first act of it is not the greatest but the second half of this episode is phenomenal i think i think yeah. as you said she's a weapons expert but not comfortable with the dark saber because they've mentioned this many times the dark saber isn't a weapon it's a symbol and it's a symbol of leadership. And is she ready to overcome all of the obstacles that have put in her path to become the leader that she is maybe meant to be? But, and it's, it, I mean, it's the old Harry Potter adage, or so many adages, where it's <laughs> the best leaders are the ones who, you know, they're called to leadership, not the ones who seek leadership out. And mm. Sabine embodies that to a T so much so and i i love the uh i loved all of it the only thing that i didn't like was when they bowed to her like not bowed when they went to then like <laughs> to their knees at the end of that episode that was super cheesy but i like all of the backstory that we get yeah you mentioned the family dynamics but also we learned that she built weapons for the empire that the empire then used against mandalore and mandalorians and just the guilt you can you can feel it you can see it it's uh, I really, I really felt for her when she said that, and I think that's just incredible. Uh, you know, that is probably why she is kind of reclusive because that it does weigh on her a lot, and yeah, all the interactions with with Kane and of course that 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 is an, an an entire thing, like when you know she calls him a lousy teacher, and then they have they reconcile, and then uh, you know we have we have the duel and everything that comes from it and just so good a note on the last at the end of the episode where they get on their knees i actually really liked it when fen rao said he would follow her yeah 
but then when Ezra decided to pile on, Ezra opens his mouth and I'm yeah. just like, nah. nah yeah, yeah. No exactly. I, I had the exact same feeling. I was like, yeah, with, with him it was cool. But then Ezra was like, no, no, please don't. There's like from it went from cool to we're just ripping off uh like Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Oh man. But uh, Sabine, we get a lot from her. And then we go from her training with the Darksaber to actually being with her family. And I, I liked some of the insight that we got about her family. I really like her mother as a character. The responsibility she holds for her family and navigating between the Empire and the responsibility to her daughter is very, very interesting. And in the end, she does turn to save her daughter. But that is something that is just like a really nice character that you can see the conflict within her. Yeah, I think part of it is more on paper because... I had the feeling like it's not really emoted and acted that well, but what like basically what you can get from it does do the job. Um, I like I like the brother as well. I like you know going going back to the symbol of the dark saber. All Mandalorians stop in their tracks when they see her igniting it, or like even just like not igniting it, just holding it. Um, that was interesting. And when Sabine and her mom kind of had the talk about family and power, the first one, it kind of reminded me of a Tywin and Tyrion in a way. In a more benign way for sure, but like a little bit like the same conversation was in Game of Thrones. Well, I like the conversation they have on the balcony where Sabine says she ran away, but then Ursa points out that was for her own safety and she never reached out because she's safer out and her coming back endangers herself and endangers the whole clan. Mm-hmm. and also the note about her father it's interesting like her father is a political hostage that's a really cool dynamic there i'm really interested to see more yeah for sure and especially as like now the mother being in charge and that kind of could set up sabine quite nicely as well um you know if power goes from one woman to to another i think that that's that's like kind of cool uh, or like just they as a team and like she is definitely accepted as as the leader. I think that's always good to see. One of the things that I like about Mandalorian culture is that it's not about gender. It's about power. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, it shouldn't always it's, be about power. <laughs> yeah, and it's but... not, not necessarily great always, but sometimes it is. <laughs> Well, we can say that at least it's not it's gender neutral in some ish yeah. way, right? Militaristic but gender neutral at least. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I love as well like the dark saber, like she gi- she gives it to her mother and then Gar Saxon shows up and that's the one of the things that I really liked here with Ezra that he gives his lightsaber to her so that she can save uh her mother and fight Saxon. That was such a cool move. I really liked it. And that's like such good payoff from uh, like the, f- the previous episode. And the note where her mother tells her that you didn't win it in combat from Maul, so you have no claim to it. Yeah, that, that's just like my ears were definitely, yep, that's, that's exactly, you know, what, I, what we have all learned from the Mandalorian. Exactly. Um, that's so interesting. But then she does beat Saxon with him holding the Darksaber. Where does that line go with the right to have the Darksaber? I'm not sure. We'll see. Obviously, yeah. Maul is dead now. So, that so Obi-Wan is the <laughs> actual. <laughs> but it kind of reminds me of the Elder Wand in Harry Potter that way. Oh, uh, true. Yeah. you know, I think that comparison has been made many times about the Darksaber yeah. and the Elder Wand. 
Yeah, I wonder what the timeline is. Maybe they were inspired by Harry Potter for that. Um, I don't know when the first Mandalorian, uh, you know, uh, culture part came up in Star Wars. But I, I would think say it's in the eighties in the books. Ah, uh, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, I'm not sure though. Mm. One question that I have is: so if Maul was killed by Obi Wan and Darth Vader was killed, uh, killed. Obi-Wan, so Darth Vader is the rightful ruler of Mandalore, but then he's dead. But who killed him? Yeah. Te- technically Luke? Or technically himself? Technically the Emperor. Technically the Emperor. So then the Emperor, and then the Emperor was killed by Rey yeah. in episode nine. Oh, God. <laughs> so Rey is the rightful holder of the Darksaber. Damn. Damn. Yeah. I think that's how that works. I, I, I think, love that. I think so. Yeah, I think so too. Not sure. Does it count, though, if they're not wielding the saber? right mm, yeah because I know then we, it's like fair game for everyone exactly by the rules of the elder wand it's not about who you it's you're just about disarming the person mm. right? if you disarm the holder of the the elder wand from the holder of the elder wand then you're the rightful god this is so complicated <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you know when when is stuff ever easy when it exactly. comes to power but what we can say is that sabine has it now and she's a badass with it for sure and if everybody just pretends like like the only person who knows that she didn't actually win it is her mother so if she yeah. just shuts up like everybody will just accept it and she did kill Garsak then when he had it so that is some level of oh, legitimacy yeah. yeah true I mean her mother did though no it was Sabine well Sabine didn't kill him but she beat bested him and then told him to ah uh, yeah okay yeah perfect. and then he perfect, was perfect, about perfect. to shoot her and then her brother shot her Shot him, sorry. Was it her brother? I thought it was, yeah, her, it was her brother. Oh, okay, maybe I didn't pay attention. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. They're all Mandalorian. What yeah, whatever. Um, yeah, but that was like an interesting batch of episode. I was so happy when I saw that we're starting off with some Mandalorian stuff. Yes. Um, yes. So good. So There's happy. kind of a reason I like kind of cut the season up that way. Yes. Yeah, I immediately, when, when uh, I saw, okay, the first one is about Mandalorian culture and like the second one is too i was like yeah good job rashad yeah. <laughs> um i like it i thought for a second there might be some sort of conflict you know laying the groundworks for some conflict between basically again like the jedi and the mandalorians when canon and sabine talk about you know uh the history of those two groups but uh maybe maybe that's just me Maybe well, there some... is always a, an underlayer right. of animosity between them. Yeah, for sure. But there, it was just really interesting that it surfaces even here. Like even someone like Kanan who didn't complete his training has kind of soaked that all in already. Yeah, so, yeah I mean, that... propaganda comes in at the very beginning, right? When you're exactly. a child. Exactly. Um, On that note, should we go over to Kanan and talk about him? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, hmm, I'm not sure what I think. What do you think? <laughs> There's a lot of things with Kanan here. I mm. like that his method of teaching is very different than it was with Ezra, obviously. He's more reticent at the beginning with Sabine, but learns to overcome that a little bit and challenges her in the way that is best for her. I think what's interesting is that he's, it's reflective of how Kanan is learning to be a better teacher. I like later on we have this interaction between him and Ezra where 
they have this moment of appreciation between each other and they kind of think about the past that they had. And I really, I, I just like it, this, these batch of episodes on one end highlight Kanan's growth as a teacher and as a person, which I do enjoy. There's not really that much about him other than that. I would say there's, I found one funny where Kanan was telling about to tell Sabine that he was proud of her. And Sabine was like, no, don't, don't you dare yeah. say you're proud of me. I found that very funny as well. Yeah, the, but I think the most affecting interaction that Kanan has with anybody in these episodes is the one he has with the Bendu in episode mm-hmm. 21. Yeah, where I was just he gonna say. says that he also tried to live on the sideline that the universe would go on without him, but he realized that he has the power to do something about it. So he would try to make a difference. And that is such a window into his character in the sense that we know that Hera found Kanan at some point when he was just going around, right? After he changed his name, after he kind of wasn't really doing anything and called him up to action. And then he eventually over the course of this episode really became, Oh, he accepted that role or that mantle of being part of the wider rebellion. So I like it just like these episodes sort of highlight the changes that we've seen in Kanan throughout this series and specifically like what we, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say like, but, or particularly like, but not dislike about Kanan anymore. So <laughs> I think that we've come a long way with about Kanan as a character and I'm really happy to have had this. I just like his relationship with the Bendu in general. So mm. Overall, I think he's fine or good. Yeah, I really like the new Kanan for sure. Like way more than the other one, obviously. Um, just one note about like him taking more of an active role with Sabine. I think that was only after prodding from Hera. Like uh, we again see Hera's intelligence. Uh, it's after they have a talk about it and Hera kind of pushes him to do like... Yeah, to do more things basically, just like in general, but in particular with her, with Sabine, and just overall, I really like the interactions between the two uh, in this batch for sure. Like like a few touching moments as well, a few that were more like they were just just the, like more functional, I guess. But uh, yeah, I, I just really like their relationship too, and yeah, Kanan with the Bandu is always interesting. Here, obviously, it's a little bit tricky uh, but in the end it helped because the band was basically the deus ex machina but the deus ex machina that also wants to kill kanan which yeah, i that, found funny yeah that was great <laughs> um but yeah th- this entire like on a political level as well this whole stance of no i remain neutral no matter what the morals are um it's very interesting. It's a very complicated matter, obviously. And Kanan is the manifestation of overcoming that, and the Bendu is the manifestation of s- sticking to it, I guess, or trying to stick to it. Yeah, and I think they did a really good job of not doing it in a like in your face kind of way in terms of writing the dialogue. Uh, they they did it like just just really well, I thought. Yeah, within an argument and anger, it was just really it was really affecting that conversation they had. So mm. good on him. Yeah. Definitely one of the highlights. One note is, of course, all of Kanan's positivity comes from Hera's wisdom because Hera is like the <laughs> wisest and smartest person ever. Yeah, absolutely. So it's really, I think that the change in Kanan is that he actually is open to Hera's wisdom more 
than in the past. <laughs> That's really yeah. the difference. He's learning oh. to live. He's learning to listen to Hera. Yeah, I, I love Hera so much in, in this. Should we talk about her for a second? Yeah, that was my transition. Uh, <laughs> one one thing that I didn't like. So so in the in the first episode when um when Ezra is pretty condescending towards uh, Sabine, the, there are two scenes where you can see Hera reacting to it, shaking her head. Uh, and I thought, like, okay, that's great that you think that, but don't, please, please, just say that and give some boundaries to Ezra because otherwise he'll just think he can just do that whenever um but just in in general it was great seeing her in this in this like very important role within the rebellion and yeah but also the scenes you know with the with the uh with the members of the ghost crew um with Ezra with Kane and with Sabine it was a little bit of a like an emotional blackmail sort of thing with with Sabine, I thought, with like, um, you know, Sabine saying, I don't need my family. And Hera says, but we do, you know, as a, I mean, it's emotional blackmail, but it's also like technically just true, you know. But yeah, all the moments she has with, within the rebellion and with Kanan specifically were just great. I mean, Hera is the leader of everything, basically. Yeah. She knows her people more than anyone else. She knows how to make them tick. She has final say in every conversation that she's in. And the thing that manifests that so clearly in my head is when push comes to shove, when they're battling it out in the final episodes of the season, it comes down to Thrawn and Hera. Mm -hmm. This other Admiral Dondori or whatever, he's on the sideline. He's supposed to be like this big ass guy, but he's doing nothing. Sato goes off and just kills himself. And it's just Hera is the badass who then uh. comes face to face with Ron. And that just goes to show how an amazing leader she is. And she's fiercely loyal to everyone around her. So mm. she's the bomb. Yeah. I wonder whether they will basically retcon why she isn't in like the rebellion leadership in the original trilogy whether that's something that will show up in the next and last season. But yeah, one thing that I really appreciated with Hera here is she always sees the bigger picture as well. And I think she can. she's really good at balancing being loyal to everyone, but also being loyal to the rebellion at large. And I think, you know, the uh, discussion with Sabine is the perfect example of that because she relates so much to Sabine's struggle she says so explicitly, you know, with her own family dynamic and everything. But she does see, you know, she does still insist on we need to do this because this is important, even if it's not easy. And I think that's just a great message too, like that the uh, easy way of like avoiding things is not the best way. Yeah, I mean, she just spits wisdom every time she speaks. So yeah, keep true. going, Hera, honestly. Sorry, I forgot that we were going to actually talk about Ezra earlier. Today, yeah, I mentioned, <laughs> I, I realized but the transition was just so too good. So let's just talk about him now, I guess. Yeah, I don't really have much notes on Ezra other than just shut up with a bunch of exclamation marks every time he speaks. <laughs> it's like you've read my notes. Oh, there is like, okay, so we do get a lot of things and we'll talk about episode 20 in detail later on. And a lot of it, a lot of Ezra stuff comes there and... 
the one ep- moment where I do like with Ezra in episode 21 is where he does finally show some humility and sort of thanking Kanan for all of his work and showing and giving respect to the people around him that are doing everything and acknowledging their contributions. And I thought that was a good moment by Ezra. And it kind of goes, I think that this show is trying to transition Ezra to be something more respectable as a character. They haven't really shown it in every aspect because the way he still acts can be annoying sometimes or just stuck up as is evident by episode 15. But he at least starts to say things the right way. And he starts to actually try to really give himself to greater causes and appreciate those around him, which I think is a good transition at least they're they're not showing it yet but they're at least saying it yeah better late than never um and i think there is another great example in episode 18 where the uh leader of i think the gold squadron yeah uh is is like uh complimenting him on his skills as a pilot and he says i've had a great teacher in Hera, and i thought that oh yeah that's nice uh you know that's not something that he would have said last season I wonder if it's like it's actually maybe this is this is the point where Ezra starts to transition in this last part of season three. Well, it starts off quite badly with him and Sabine. But (laughs) after that, he's actually quite good, I would say, after episode 15 and 16. And even 16, he's actually decent because he does give up his lightsaber to Sabine to fight. And that's a pretty big sacrifice. So there's actually quite a bit going on here positively for Ezra. So it's not the end of the world, honestly. Not all hope is lost. <laughs> yeah, a new hope will arise, I guess. And <laughs> but before we do, before we talk about the new hope, let's talk about Chopper, who has some amazing things in this batch of episodes. Oh my god! You know what I just found out about Chopper before uh, we continue? That he is voiced by Dave Filoni. Oh wow, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. That's amazing. I had absolutely no idea, and that just makes me so happy. <laughs> oh my god! When when he purrs as Sabine kind of like pets him in the beginning <laughs> of episode fifteen, and just the way he emotes, especially in episode nineteen, is so good. It's ah, oh, I I love him. He's I might like him more than R two. Whoa. Well, 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 don't get ahead of yourself. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> I know. We'll get there. Wow. Um, yeah, no, Chopper is amazing. I love when, okay, so in episode 18, the gold squadron come up and gold two or whatever, she gets out of her ship and then she just like, Chopper insults her immediately. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, did your drug just insult me? That oh, just made me so laugh good. so much. It was so good. Oh, so, so funny. But also, yeah, again, like in episode 19 when he is like being hacked and like he suddenly is a very different person. wedge water or something to drink. and Yeah, and apologizing to to AP5 and calling him sir and everything. Wait a second. That was a great moment. AP5 actually says it like outright is like, yeah. Uh, like the empire has no regard for droids and that's why chopper can just blend in every time because nobody pays attention exactly and and thron does because he's thron you know god thron is so good yeah man when when you see him sparring with the two droids with the two like mega droids 
such such a badass. I think they're called assassin droids, technically. They look like the dark troopers. I think right? they're maybe earlier models of the dark I thought, troopers. I thought so too. It was like, damn. Like just imagine like someone like imagine like if you think about like Mando and like how much trouble he has uh like fighting one of them with his entire equipment and Thrawn is just there with the spear. God, it's incredible. He's such a badass, honestly. Yeah. He might be one of my favorite Star Wars villains. Yeah, for sure. Ever. And it's been only one season of Thrawn here. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we'll get to see more of him in the next season and in the Ahsoka show too. But I like as well the, what the Bendu says to him at the end, like at his end, I guess, is, you know, I, I've seen a vision of the future and you will lose. And just his, like, Thrawn's reaction was like, whoa, oh no. <laughs> you can see, like, the horror in his face. Yeah, and he the way he says it, he says, I guess we'll get into it a little bit more, but many arms surrounding you in a cold embrace. Oh, man, that yeah, that was shivers down my spine, man. <laughs> what does that mean? What's yeah. the foreshadow? <laughs> ah! <sighs> I can't wait. I can't wait. I guess wait. we'll find out. No, I mean, yeah, we'll find out maybe in the Ahsoka show, maybe moving forward. Uh, good, good, uh, good. Uh, keeping up the tension, by the way. <sighs> There's one thing I want to know before we talk about the last three episodes, if that's okay. I really like the beginning of episode 17, where we start by mm. Cal's perspective. Yeah. I love that just initial few shots. I was actually hoping that they would do the whole episode that way, because Same. the episode is called, I think, from the... Through Imperial Eyes. Thank you, yeah. thank you. So, yeah, I found that was really cool. Yeah, I, I was for a second, I was really hyped for that episode just be, because of the same thing. I thought like, wow, this is so, so interesting, like such an interesting way of going about it, literally through Imperial eyes. But unfortunately, they didn't. But still, it was a, like an interesting episode in the sense that, of course, we get a, we do see a lot about the uh, Imperial machinations and with the spy. I loved how Callus set up his like the lieutenant. And that was well done, but I also like it in the, in the end that Thrawn and the other guy like immediately see through it. it. I mean, it makes sense because Thrawn is the tactical genius, and it, the fact that Thrawn does see it through it, yeah. Yeah, but the investigator too is like, yeah, this went a little bit too smoothly. Exactly, but then also Thrawn is the one who tells them how, well, like what exactly happened. So it's cool. So like even like the best Imperial people, other than Thrawn can have that instinct that something is wrong, but only Thrawn has the intelligence to know what it actually is. Yeah, but also on a meta level, just the fact that they try to rescue or like like to extract Callus, just on a yeah. meta level is just really cool because that shows Callus that they care about him, not just, you know, as as an asset, but also like kind of more as a person because they could just let him die. Yeah. And the Empire would let him die. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and so, yeah, it's. I thought that that was very interesting too. And uh, yeah, I'm so happy that they saved him at the end. And I wonder what his role is going to be in the, in the last season. Yeah, and it makes me really think about that episode where Zeb and Kalos are on the moon. And you see how both of them relate to the empire and the rebellion and zeb talking constantly about his friends and then when they rescue him having this warm embrace and then when callus is eventually rescued by the empire he goes back to a cold desolate room and this yeah, and like, really oh you were gone 
sort of thing. Like we didn't even realize or we didn't exactly. even care. Yeah, and this stark difference between the Empire's coldness and the warm the warmth of the rebellion is really hit home to Callus there. And you can see how that's so affecting and then how that could actually change one to be to want to be like that or want to be in that space. And it really highlights the larger, you know, galactic conflict between this empire and the budding rebellion. It's great. I just love it. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good like way to look at it as well because you know if you are if you go through the basically the career path within the empire it's all very cold and clinical you know in a sense in in many ways but it's kind of warmer in the rebellion in in many ways too so that's kind of an interesting way of thinking about it but you just mentioned zeb and unfortunately we don't get a lot about him in these episodes but i did like when rex and he were doing their thing and i was like yeah i'm i'm all for it. like they, they two like the two of them make a great pair yeah when they're talking about slinging jupas and then the fact that they taste good it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but also like them them together on the battlefield i think that's pretty badass ah uh, yeah when they're defending the the past to come to invade the yeah i feel like there's like probably a lot of rapport between the two of them because, like, of course, Zab is also military, so they do have a like that kind of shared background. Yeah, it's interesting. It's cool, also, in that sequence to see Rex on the battlefield again. Mm-hmm. And he immediately goes to like has his tactical genius as well. Like, okay, we should do it here and here and here. We should do that, so that slows them down and everything. That's great. Rex is kind of underused as a military mind, mm. but it kind of makes sense because he's not a large, big picture general. Yeah, he's he is, on, an underground person. Exactly. He's an underground uh, tactical genius, as you said. Yeah. Ah, so good. Okay, shall we shall we go into it? Shall we go into the last three episodes? Let's go into episode 20. I want to talk about this for for a minute, probably. Yeah. <laughs> for a minute, he said. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone strap in for a five minute monologue by Rashad. Oh my god, I think this is the most beautiful episode of this entire show. It's so, 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 so good. Just like, it kind of leads up a little funky. The first act is a little weird. But once he gets off of Adelon and he's going towards Tatooine, I'm all for it. Like, it's there's none of the funky, weird music in the background. It's all totally serious. It's beautifully shot. The colors... Oh my god. So, okay, I'm going to get into the last fight scene at the very end. But, like... Actually, no, that's all I want to talk about, honestly. But it's as it's a really good plan by Maul, I have to say. I have to start with. It kind of just like makes so much sense because there's no way in the world that Obi-Wan would just let Ezra die. And he's really putting Obi-Wan in a very difficult position there. And good on you by Maul to get what you want, essentially. Ezra's really stupid for falling for it. This is a whole other thing. Ezra never learns his lessons. <laughs> so mad. I mean, that's Ezra. That's that's his thing. He mm. has this weird relationship with Maul we have to kind of understand. And he thinks that he can manipulate him. But in the end, we get Obi-Wan. And when Obi-Wan shows up, just like the first shot of Obi-Wan is just his feet and the robe. And I'm just like, oh my god, Obi-Wan, 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 Obi-Wan. <laughs> and then like you look up and there's just old man looking back at you. And it's just so good. It's just like this show, I think... You know, we said last uh, earlier on that it needed a bad villain. And we got that. What it really needed also was 
sort of a wise leader, an Allah, a Yoda, or something to just like spit wisdom. And Hera does that for a lot of the times, but she's too in the thick of it. There's no and there's no person to kind of let is above it and just the wise master kind of persona. And just the few lines that Obi-Wan has towards Ezra in these sequences is just like it's just so good. I just like love things like, you know, truth is what we make of it, or just like you're off your path or the way that he talks to Ezra in this way to just push him back in the right direction away from Maul is just so good. So good. And this is all before we begin with the greatest fight scene. Like I love it so much. Okay. So Maul shows up. He's like, I'm the only one who's benefited from this. Like, Oh shit. Oh shit, Ezra's like, Ezra's ready to fight. Obi-Wan's like, psh, 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 sit up, sit back, youngling. You have no idea what you're doing here. And it's just like, I love the line. So the opening line. So Maul tells Obi-Wan, look at what you have become, a rat in the desert. And Obi-Wan's retort, it's like, look what I have risen above, is so good. <laughs> I'm just going to use that anyone, anytime anyone insults me or anytime. It's just like the perfect <laughs> retort. It's just like I have so surpassed you, Maul, as a conflict that you are not even on my radar anymore. You're just like nothing to me, essentially. It's so good. I love then the, then the fire kind of goes out and it's darkness with the starry background and the red lightsaber is lit. It is just – it's a level of artistic beauty that is just not really in this show. And I can't say enough how much I like the the lack of sound in this episode. Because throughout Rebels, one of the things that always annoys me is this little music that's going on in the background through all the dialogue or whatever. None of that in this episode. And uh, it's so, it's just like, I love also, okay, so as soon as Maul is prodding Obi-Wan, he asks him about, what are you doing here? You must have a mission. And he just, as soon as he says it, he clicks and he says, you're protecting someone. And that's exactly when Obi-Wan lights his own lightsaber because he knows like Maul's onto something and shit's gonna hit the fan. I love the build up to this. <laughs> and then we get into... So Obi-Wan starts with his normal ready position, like with his two fingers out. I forget the name of the form, but he starts with that um, that ready position. And then as Maul draws his own saber, actually, Obi-Wan does a really interesting thing. And he changes his ready position, specifically in reference to all the fights he's had with Maul. And that is one of the reasons why he just wins the fight so fast. He never fights as he normally fights. He fights in a completely different stance. And that in and of itself shows the evolution of Obi-Wan as a warrior with the saber. And it is just so fast, quick. It's just, I found that this battle in so much, so many ways, just poetic. And it is, I love as Obi-Wan, as, I don't know, it's just like as Maul is lying there in Obi-Wan's arms at the end of his character arc at the end of his journey his struggle through survival his struggle through you know revenge and all the things that he's gone through for this moment to get revenge on obi-wan he just looks up at him and making asking him is it the chosen one and obi-wan is, says he is 
and and, and comforting like his nemesis on his exactly. like uh, on his deathbed basically that's it's, incredible oh my god and the way that his la- his dying breath with his dying breath maul just says he will avenge us mm. and it is just poetry on screen mm. oh my god and i think it's like the the most fitting end to one of the best star wars characters ever honestly and it's incredible that this character has had this arc all in the animated shows. And if you've never seen any of the animated shows, you have no idea what we're talking about. But <laughs> it's yeah. insane. And in my head, it's like when I was watching this episode and after thinking about episode 20, and I've thought about this episode a lot. I've rewatched this fight scene multiple, multiple times. It's one of the seminal moments of Rebels for me. It is it's crazy that this is the same episode. It's the same show as some of the other episodes in this season. And it's just on a completely different level. And obviously at the end, you have the force theme music that plays. You have the Luke, Luke and little Luke running running down. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's incredible. And one note about this episode that I have to, I have to point out that I think one of the reasons this episode is so good is because this one is actually directed by Dave Filoni. It's one of the few episodes of Rebels that is. And the last episode that he did direct himself was the finale of season two, which is Twilight of the Apprentice when Ahsoka Mm, and Vader mm -hmm. fight. So there's a very few episodes that are actually directed by Dave Filoni. And you can see the level of creative genius that is risen above by this episode. So I love this episode. I mean, especially the end, obviously, (laughs) but. So I I didn't I didn't enjoy it as much as you did, but now that after your monologue, I'm also very hyped. <laughs> I mean, okay, it's it's true. Like I, there are a lot of things that I like about it. It's just like the yeah, as you said, the beginning is not that great. I think as when basically when Chopper runs out of power, that's when the episode starts for me, or like the good part starts. Yes. Because everything oh, before sure. it is like annoying to me. Yeah, I, I love the one thing that I did like before is like when Chopper when 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 Ezra goes into the desert and Chopper's like looking and through the directions like ah, where do I go? And then ah and then he sighs and just follows Ezra. But I love as well how how distraught Ezra is when Chopper runs out of power. Obviously all the shots you mentioned it, all the shots of Obi-Wan. I think they did an incredible job of having Obi-Wan, the older Obi-Wan now, look more like an Alec Guinness and the voice is incredibly similar to him. That was and the way he speaks that wasn't that was really really well done. Um that really sold me and also the way he fights with Maul and ov- obviously all the wisdom he drops on on Ezra was amazing. The way he fights with Maul is very efficient. Uh, very few mo- uh, movements um but that that is just so samurai style right do you have you have that in a lot of akira kurosawa movies and other like samurai media where there's one opponent who does a lot of things and then the one who is who is more capable who knows he only has to do like three things like three movements and the the enemy is down and that's the same here and that goes back to something that you said uh, in our Q&A episode, like months ago, that, you know, that's the thing with single wielding lightsabers. You need a lot of pre- precision and Obi-Wan has that. And you can definitely see he is 
he is so he has honed his skills even in exile and i love as well when hera said and has says in the beginning if obi-wan would were alive he'd be uh, involved with the rebellion but we clearly see obi-wan has a perspective that's way like a way bigger picture than even hera has and because because luke is more important and i love that kind of tidbit in there and yeah so now i'm sold i'm definitely going to rewatch that episode maybe i'll fa- fast forward to the f- through the first 10 minutes or so but yeah it's a great great episode yeah it's it's really as you said the episode starts for me when they land on tatooine but i mean that's semantics at this point the beginning is meh but it's the end of it is just Oh, it's so, so good like there's the one shot where they're panning out and you have the starry nights lighting up everything <sighs> and you just have both lightsabers lit and them facing off with one another it's oh. incredible and the way it captures the silence of the desert with juxtaposed with the brightness of the sun of the stars i love it it's so good <sighs> okay let's all let's all breathe and then we talk about the last two episodes Oops. I'm just got chills down my spine. <laughs> you ready? Yep. Oh my god, Thrawn is a freaking badass. <laughs> he is. So we're gonna talk about t- the last two episodes of the season zero hour part one and two. Mm-hmm. Overall, what did you think about these two episodes? I think uh, yeah, I I just enjoyed the space battle and all the like back and forth. Um I like I really liked Sato's sacrifice. As like he again, he sees the bigger picture. He knows how important it is to for Ezra to get help. Um, maybe there were parts that were I didn't really like, like the um, Mandalorians, like being on the ship. That was kind of like yeah, that kind of slows down the action. They balance it really well because you can see the losses that the rebels suffer and just the power of the Empire basically and I, I love that that it's so overwhelming and thron is you know he knows he he has he is just outnumbering them like so much i don't really understand why he didn't just f- kept firing at them that's probably something that that he should have done because he would have just overwhelmed the uh uh the shield at some point and then they could have just like killed them that way but it's fine i think for that specifically they're not aware that the shield is not in tip-top shape. Oh, uh, yeah. Because a yeah. normal, like, localized shield like that could hold up for basically forever. Okay, I see. Yeah, Thrawn, just as a quick side note, Thrawn looks kind of ridiculous with the helmet in the field, but that's okay. Um, yeah, I, I know we, we said earlier that, you know, the Bendu also attacks Kanan, but he still was, like, a little bit too Deus Ex Machina for me personally but again i love the the interaction he has with with thron at the end um i like that they rescue callus i think callus throughout these episodes is like at, the, at least in the beginning and the end is, is great uh, throughout he's just like whatever <laughs> he's just there i guess so if you remember i believe it was in season two the empire was testing a weapon that would pull people out of hyperspace and that was called the gravity wells so this is following up on that. Yeah, that, that's that's a good point. Yeah, we definitely saw that. And that's definitely what they also tried to destroy Ezra and Co. 
Yeah, so they had to destroy the interdictor. That's the the ship that has the gravity well on it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that that was fine. Um, yeah, I just I just thought the action with the Mandalorians wasn't that interesting, unfortunately to me, especially because like Ezra didn't seem that capable in that, which was interesting to see as well. Like the Mandalorians clearly know how to fight in that situation way better. But again, it's it's weird because it's only a few episodes in between, you know, Sabine leaving and coming back. But I guess that's also partly because we binged it. Yeah, and it's an it's an interesting start to the rebellion. I, I like, of course, that they have this whole plan to start off the rebellion with a literal bang and attack the Empire. And that Thrawn sees through all of that. And yeah, so a lot a lot a lot of nice things uh like a a lot of interesting things throughout for sure um and now i'm just curious about the next season and the outcome of all of this honestly it's a great way to end this third season yeah your penultimate season ends with like the your heroes sort of losing a bunch and really ending on a whimper essentially thrawn is obviously so 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 charismatic in the way that he speaks i love when he a i love how he finds out their location and how he has to beat up callus for it i like that sequence that fight scene between the two of them at no point do you think that callus is going to actually beat up thrawn but i like that they made <laughs> no. it interesting at the very least and i think my favorite part of this entire couple episodes is when thrawn communicates with the rebel leadership and he says to captain like cap or hera captain Sindula at last we meet on the theater of war and mm. it was like he and Hera was like we're not going to surrender and Thrawn was like oh you're misunderstood I, i'm not going i'm not accepting surrenders i want you to know failure utter so defeat good. So beautiful good, and just the little notes that he speaks and he just like the way he communicates to his leadership and how Sato is doing certain technical or tactical strategies where Thrawn just speaks with admiration towards his Mm -hmm. opponent, which is really incredible. And you really have to see things from a 10,000 feet above to be able to understand everything. And I like, even in the end, how the machinations work for the rebellion to win, besides the Bendu, obviously. But the fact that it is Constantine's search for glory, who doesn't understand anything, and how he is the one who pulls the ship out of the way to let Ezra go by. And there's this whole thing that kind of one thing leads to the next. I really like that a lot more than the Bendu Deus Ex Machina that you mentioned. But that's all. And then the Mandalorian action is not the greatest there. But I think you are, you are right. The Mandalorians are clearly better in battle than Ezra is. Ezra doesn't know what he's doing in that sense. But yeah, and obviously Sato's death is very heart-wrenching and it actually is well done i would say so it's it's just such a great last couple episodes there are little moments that are not that amazing but i do like the bendu at the very end how he just kind of does give that prophecy that we mentioned before then just pieces out and disappears and (laughs) he is beyond your control beyond your ability to destroy is Mm. when thrawn questions him on what he is so just a great last couple episodes and the last line of this season or one of the last lines of this season when they say we're going to yavin essentially and yeah. it's official we've heard the name yavin 
it's 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 happening like we're going into the rebellion this is real yeah. like obviously mon mothma her appearance and her desire to unite re- rebel cells all over the galaxy is one thing and sato and hera's group is you know one cell among many around the uh, rebellion but once we see once we hear the name yavin we know what's coming and that's an amazing it's just so exciting to continue and then just well, what are we going to see in the next season yeah a lot of things really fall into place here and uh, of course we have one mothma showing up in episode 18 but even before that in episode 17 the lieutenant that gets uh imprisoned for treason um he mentions leia you know the trouble he had with the princess from Alderaan, alderon and that just reminds us oh yeah she's also up there and she we know how important she is and or will be and i think they just they're just really picking up things here and there and just yeah weave it together really well uh, it just struck me. I think the last two episodes kind of remind me of like Empire Strikes Back in a way. Just like the the feeling I had watching it, which obviously is a compliment. <laughs> um, but yeah, I also really like, I, I think it's a fitting end to Constantine as well. I really like that uh, because you we have seen him. We kind of know him a little bit. And the only thing that was a little weird to me is how he talks to Thrawn at the end, because even if he destroys the ship and he survives, he will still probably be court-martialed just for the way he talks to Thrawn. But also Sato, I think Sato himself, that like the decision he makes and how that's handled is really well done. But I think the cherry on top is the two people who decide to stay with him. And that was just like, whoa, this is like... I don't know why, but that just, that was just, I don't know. Yeah. As I said, like the cherry on top, that was just like, wow, this is like even, I don't know. That was like really touching in a way. It's little details like that. I think that make this really thought through. And as you said, it's, it's more affecting. Well, it's just a great end to a season that has been a very much a roller coaster ride. Mm. And to think that, the last time we recorded, we were talking about the middle of the season and it was quite negative. We were discussing things, yeah. but alas, here we are and things have been, I'd say, ending on a very high note going into season four. Makes me more excited for season four itself. Absolutely. And I have been, I have been real. I realized like, because I'm editing all of this, of course, and I, I just, it's interesting how negative I have been about this show, but I think finally it's gotten to a point where I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm definitely optimistic for this next season, which is the last, but I think that also maybe is a good thing and that they have, they, you know, they will tell the story and it doesn't go on forever and they're at a, in a good place right now, I think. And it's also a shorter season, I think. So that's, that makes it even more interesting kind of. So what episodes are we going to watch next time? On that note, we'll be watching episodes one through eight of season four of Rebels. Okay. And if you liked what you heard uh, and you want to help the show, you know, gain more, gain more listeners and, you know, get some more visibility out there, Richard, what can our dear, dear listeners do? To support the show, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to get in touch... Uh, there are a few ways you can do that, all of which you can find at seriallyhook.com, our website. 
Oh, no, that's not Tron. That's the IT guy. Sorry, I'm just going to cut that. Whatever. Murmur, murmur.